0: Well, church, is Jesus worthy of praise? Do you guys, he is worthy of praise. I was thinking as we were singing this last song, that he goes before us, and how important it was for me, even just standing there singing and imagining him going before me just right up onto the platform here. And him coming before you, going before you as you come onto this place, onto this campus here to worship Jesus today. Wherever you are, if you're tuning in as part of our online community, he's present with you. And even as you lean forward and engage what you're going to experience here this next little bit, uh, he's going before you. He's preparing the way for you. He is that good, friends. He is so loving and so gracious and so merciful, and he treasures you, every single one of you. Uh, My name is Matthew, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm delighted to be able to worship with you and to spend time in this love letter called the Bible. I'm really grateful uh, for that opportunity to be with you, so welcome to all of you are here today now uh, we're in the midst of a sermon series that's giving attention to issues of gender and sexuality identity community and so I would really covet your prayers and uh, for those uh, who are joining us here that uh, this is a new experience and maybe maybe a bit challenging in a unusual way Uh, we're praying that in the safety of God's presence he could meet you and love you in a very special way today so would you pray toward that in with me right now Let's go to our Heavenly Father. Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. And we ask in the name of Jesus that you would meet us in a very personal way here. As uh, we continue in this series, as we spend time in your word, I pray in Jesus' name that you would uh, show us that you have something for each one of us. You want to speak to us today. You want to help us to be more like your beloved son, our great triumphant Savior Jesus. You want us to be women and men who are filled with your spirit. And indeed, I ask, God of heaven, that your spirit would, as it were, break out amongst us here as we spend time in your word and as we uh, grow a holy imagination for what are your best purposes and as we step toward those things. And I pray, God of heaven, that you would help me as I share, as I speak. And most of all, Lord, may we all leave Closer to Christ. Make it so. Make it so. And command the enemy to leave us be. And to give us, uh, in this place, oh God, through your word, give us safe pasture. where, Where we can receive what you want very much to give us today. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus and all of God's people. Agreed. Same. Amen. You agree, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. Uh, The tension is palpable. There is Jesus teaching before a crowd in the courtyards of the great temple in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, a group of religious leaders show up and they thrust a woman right into the middle of the courtyard down onto the dust in front of Jesus. And they start demanding that she be stoned to death for they have just caught her in some kind of sexual sin." So Jesus makes a demand as well, and he says to those religious leaders, he says, well, whoever it is that has not sinned can cast the first stone. And almost immediately, beginning with the older of the religious leaders, each one starts to walk off the scene. They disappear. No one could rise to Jesus' request. And as they disappear, they leave Jesus and the woman right there in the middle of the courtyard with the crowd on the periphery watching. And Jesus, he looks at the woman and he says, So is there anyone that is to condemn you? No, Lord, she says. Well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. It's one of the world's most famous stories. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, in your New Testament. You you don't need to turn there, but I just want you to be aware of where you could find it. It is instructive for us as we spend the next few minutes, and indeed, uh, this whole series talking about these all-important realities. It is instructive in this way. I note, when I listen to this story, that Jesus did not join the outrage mob. I really respect that. There is so much anger in our world today, and it seems like people are just drawn to join the outrage mob from which they can cast stones at those of us who are broken and bruised and struggling. Jesus refused to do that. And note that those religious leaders, they wanted that woman's blood because of her sin. And I note that by not giving in to their demands, I well, I can't help but wonder if Jesus was thinking about his own blood shed for her sins. I want you to really imagine that that's possible. I also see that Jesus called out the hypocrisy of these religious leaders. As I said a moment ago, well, if you if you've not sinned, you get to cast the first stone. None of them took his bait. And off they slithered out of the courtyard and into the streets beyond. And then Then, and only then, after he confronted them in their duplicity, did he engage this this poor woman who has been so humiliated. And I love that without condemning her, he cast a vision for the better things. Go and sin no more. Now, Friends, this ought to be the posture of every follower of Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, this ought to be the posture of our church, the tone of our church. But unfortunately, I fear that we Christians and we churches have done a horrible job bringing balance to issues of grace and truth. We're not known for this. What we're known for is creating pain. And that is a, a terrible indictment toward us, and we need to own that. Now, there are some who are listening to my voice right now, and I, I mentioned this last weekend, and I'm inclined to say it again. There are some who are listening to my voice right now who want me to call out and, as it were, attack the LGBTQ community people that are wrestling with same-sex attraction or transgenderism. And I'm not going to do that. And the reason I'm not going to do that is because I think it is exceedingly simplistic and reductionistic, and it plays into these culture war sticks that, that we never see Jesus or the apostles play into. Not once. But then there are others of you And I get it, you want me to be affirming of homosexuality and transgenderism and I'm not going to do that either. Because dear one, it falls so short of what is God's best beautiful vision for human flourishing and for suffering and glory and creation and redemption. And I want better for you. But I also know that listening to my voice right now, and some of you are my friends, and you know this. I know listening to my voice in this space or online, right now, are neighbors that are really wrestling with these issues. And to even be in this moment of conversation is terrifying, it's unsettling. And I want you to know And I've said it, and you know this. Those of you who know me, you know this about me. I love you. I love you so much. But my love is nothing compared to his. Compared to Jesus' love. His love is an undying love for you. He cares so deeply about you. This Jesus who stood before that woman who had been so humiliated by the mob, and he loved her. And just as he welcomes her, he welcomes you. This is his house, and you have a place here. You're welcome here. Now, last weekend, we looked into God's Word, and we considered the dignity of the human body as that which is part of being created in the image of God. And we had to talk about this because the prevailing sentiment of of our cultural narrative today is that the body can be defaced. The body is worthless. The body is flawed. The body doesn't tell the true story and so forth. And that's just not true. And we saw that last weekend and I I commend to you that That message. Next weekend, Lord willing, we're going to celebrate the beauty of a covenant marriage. God's designed for this, but don't don't just stop there because you know what? Being married is not the end all be all of life. What a covenant marriage does is actually give us a beautiful portrait of a flourishing community where people from all walks of life can come together in safety and in truth. And where they can thrive. And that's what we're going to talk about. And then Lord willing, our last Sunday in this series, we're going to talk about this beautiful, this beautiful grace that is found in Jesus. We're going to celebrate the utter relief, the utter relief of healing grace that is only found in Christ. Because I want to be crystal clear on something. Nearly every single human being listening to my voice has some kind of sexual brokenness. And we all need, we all need the healing care of Jesus. Well, today what we want to talk about is the reality of two sexes, male and female. And for a number of us, this seems like a no-brainer, but we have to understand that, that in the public square today there are a whole lot of question marks around this issue so it's necessary to take some time and talk about it in the 1880s some scandinavian archaeologists unearthed a grave and it was a viking era grave so this goes back thousands you know thousand fifteen hundred two thousand years and within this grave well it was obvious this this was a warrior because within this grave were the implements of battle swords and shields and arrows and axes and the natural conclusion of the archaeologists was here is a Viking warrior here is a valiant man now I like this story because I'm 10% Norwegian which means I'm a Viking practically and I've told my girls this for years and they usually roll their eyes and they're like dad please stop saying stuff like that you're making you're embarrassing yourself which is all the more reason why I do it, it if they get that kind of reaction the years would pass and technology, science would develop further. And in these most recent years, researchers went back to those bones found in that particular grave, and they did these molecule tests, the DNA tests, the scientific tests, and you know, of course, what they learned was, in fact, this valiant warrior was not a man, but a woman. Amen, there you go. A woman. Well, it begs the question why the stereotype? Why was it too easy to decide? Well, there's swords and spears and shields and axes and arrows, it must be a man. I mean, that's a whole conversation. We'll allude to that here shortly. But in many ways, the bigger story is that the science proved, even after centuries, that these bones were female. One of the researchers, you'll see her name up here with a quote from her work, Dr. Charlotte Hiddensstierna Janssen. She says, genome-wide sequence data was generated in order to confirm the biological sex. The genomic results revealed the lack of a Y chromosome and thus a female biological sex. Now, this is remarkable. That science can tell us unequivocally male or female and please hear me that is regardless of how this individual presented and it is also despite all of the accoutrements that might suggest a stereotype despite the stereotypes and despite how this person may or may not have presented at the end of the day, science demonstrated unequivocally, that's a woman. That's a woman. Those bones are female. The body is female. The person is female. Now, this confirms this confirms an important witness in the big sweep of creation. And that is this. Science makes it crystal clear that there are, in fact, only two biological sexes, male and female. Contrary to prevailing transition narratives or cultural assumptions and stereotypes. And in that way, science confirms... God's design. Science confirms God's design. Now the first chapter of God's story unpacks this for us and casts vision for us. And so I want to ask you to return with me to a couple of verses that we looked at last weekend. From Genesis chapter 1, Verses 26 and 27, you'll see them here uh, in front of you. And I'm just going to read these and I want to invite you to just listen carefully. God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, or rather the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So, God created man in his own image. By the way, that word for man there, uh, old school. Less old school mankind. Even less old school humankind. It's it's a general term for humanity. Humanity. God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this is chapter one, this is, I mean, friends, the very first words of the Bible. In Genesis chapter one, we have this remarkable unfolding of creation's development. On day one, this happened. On day two, that happened. And it culminates with the creation of mankind. Humankind, humanity, male and female. And time goes on, and you can look at the stories. I encourage you to do so. They're they're remarkable. They're riveting. They're haunting. At some point, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they come together. They have a child. Time goes on. In Genesis chapter 5, we see a bit of a repeat of these. So look with me, Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Right here, this is the book of the generations of Adam. By the way, time out, if I can nerd out with you for a moment, Uh, in the book of Genesis, it's actually a series of stories that are sewn together, and periodically you have a statement like that first sentence there. This is the book of the generations of, and then it says of Adam, or of Abraham, or of Jacob, or so forth. Uh, It's just a, a cyclical set of stories. Uh, histories, well nonetheless this is the book of the generations of Adam and when God created man he made him in the likeness of God, male and female he created them, he blessed them and named them man, there's that word again mankind, humankind, humanity and they were created but notice male and female he created them this is God's design and science, science proves this out unequivocally And even the test of time, bones that are hundreds if not a thousand or more years old. The molecules tell a story, the body tells a story like we spoke of last weekend. And this particular story is either male or female. And it's one or the other. There there are no other options, regardless of how the body is presented, regardless of what the cultural stereotypes are, male or female. Now, hear me, this is important, what I'm about to share. There are some very thoughtful and serious students of the Bible that they will look at Genesis chapter 1, the creation story, and they see in it, understandably, rightly so in some ways, they see in it these, these multiple pairs that seem to represent various kinds of things. And so, for example, they will see... Um, in Genesis 1, they will see uh, light and dark, light and dark, and they will assume light and dark are representative of a gradient between light and dark, and so if that were so, then you have between light and dark, you have dawn and dusk, it's sort of light, it's sort of dark, or you might have sunrise and sunset. And so between the the broader categories of light and dark, you've got this gradient, dawn and dusk, sunrise, sunset. Also, if you look in Genesis 1, you'll see see this other pair. For example, you'll see land and sea. Land and sea. And so there is this, this gradient between these two, between land and sea. And so you have streams and swamps. It's kind of land, it's wet, wetlands, right? Like wetlands, it's sort of both. Or you have, as one scholar put it, you have rivers and reeds. Okay, so between land and sea is this gradient of swamps and streams and rivers and reeds. Between light and dark is this gradient of dusk and dawn and sunrise and sunset. And so the assumption is, guess what? You also have in Genesis chapter one, these other representative uh, subjects, male and female. And so surely there must be a gradient between male and female, uh, a, a range of sexes. And what you, and I need to acknowledge is that a lot of our neighbors within the LGBTQ plus community and their allies advocate for this very strongly. And so it's a way that they can tell a story about gender and sexuality and and hear me, do so attempting to be seriously reflective of the scriptures because they see these pairs also in Genesis 1 that have these radiance between them and so there's this assumption, well surely then this pair must also. Are you tracking with me? And I have to confess to you, this is very compelling. except for two realities very important realities reality number one is this when you and I look through the Bible we see no end of references to the creation ranges land and sea And there are references to waterfalls and wetlands and swamps, the the reedy waters that God parted, the Red Sea, all of this. we, We see repeated over and over and over again references to these things that are on the gradient between land and sea. We see throughout the scriptures no end of references to the things that are on that gradient between light and dark and so dusk and sunset David talks about the watches of the night Uh, we have we have uh, uh, dawn and sunrise we see tons of these things throughout the pages of of the Bible the story of redemptive history but Not once do we ever see any allusion to a human being on a gradient between male and female. We only see male and female. We never see anything other, not once, over thousands of years of human drama recorded By countless authors Spread out over centuries And that says something That's an important detail That cannot be overlooked Now a second reality A second reality Is Genesis chapter 2 now, Genesis chapter 2 is fascinating. Here you have the first man, Adam, and he has been, condi- uh, he, he's been uh, invited to, uh, to, to name the animals. And so, according to the account, he's naming all the animals and implied in this is a recognition that these animals have mates. They have companions of the opposite sex and so though it doesn't say this it's implied you imagine there's the buffalo and the buffalo the male buffalo has a companion who's a female buffalo and lo and behold they're making baby buffaloes and, and Adam sees this dynamic unfolding and so interestingly enough God Almighty, and you saw this with me last weekend, at the very end of Genesis chapter 1, God looks at the whoop and the wharf of creation, and he says, it is very good. But then when he notes that Adam doesn't have a mate, doesn't have a companion, like all the animals do, for the first time ever, God says, that's not good. And by the way, that speaks volumes about the power of of community. We'll talk more about that next weekend. It also says something about the detriment of isolation. God, when he sees that the man is utterly alone and does not have one of his own kind with whom to live life and soldier on, God says, that's not good. Well, this is what God does. Look with me. Genesis chapter 2. We'll see it up here. So the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. I love this story it is a beautiful and rich story now in the Hebrew language the words for helper fit in the Hebrew language that phrase is Eser and literally here's what it means a warrior partner can we say that together because I want to be sure you get that ready Warrior partner. A warrior partner. Now this is really important. It suggests that the woman comes alongside the man and together they soldier forward. I want you to understand the only time that that word ezer is used as a description for another being, please Hear all of this, what I'm about to say, it's so critical, it's so important. The only time that that word ezer and ezer Kenegno is used for another being ever is of God. When God is fighting for his people Israel. When he is going on defense for them, going before them. It's never used of a man, although there are many times where men have it as they include it as part of their proper name. It's never once used as a description of a man in the Bible. It is used of God when he's fighting for the dignity of Israel, and the only other time it's used in a descriptive way is for the woman in Genesis 2. That says something about you ladies. Do you hear that? You have an assignment. And a descriptor, and the only other one who bears that is God Himself. A warrior partner who soldiers alongside of the man. Oh, that's a big deal. Talk about dignity and worth. But actually, it's the word connecto that I want to take a moment and spotlight because what that word means in the phrase Ezra Kegnedo the word Kegnedo it's a complex word of multiple syllables there and each syllable matters when you put it all together it has the idea of correspondence and completion likeness and yet some unique distinctiveness and I want you to think the way I like to think of it is think of a puzzle couple puzzle pieces that, that come together and they're the same they're the same puzzle and yet each one is carved in its own unique way and notice this friends with me then those puzzle pieces come together and they fit perfectly absolutely and guess what else hear me now it's very important what I'm about to say no other puzzle piece comes together between them in other words The male and female were designed by God to come together perfectly. They are the same and yet somewhat unique. And they're designed to come together in a perfect fit, an absolute fit. There's no room for a range between the two. Are you hearing me, church? It, It doesn't exist. It wasn't designed that way. Well, some might say... Well, pastor, what about eunuchs or intersex individuals? And this is a very important question. It's a good question. And in fact, Jesus gives specific attention to the matter of eunuchs. Uh, If you wonder what a eunuch is, let me invite you to look it up. But let me offer this bit of a description. In fact, let's let Jesus speak into it. Matthew chapter 19, and again, we'll talk more in depth about Matthew chapter 19 next week, but here's here's a part of it, verse 12. By the way, before I read that, let me just make this statement. Jesus has just talked about marriage and relationship, and there are people in the crowd that are like, I don't understand that. That marriage thing sounds hard. How about being single? Jesus is like, well, okay, let's talk about singleness here. He says, for example, there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. And then there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. That is to say, metaphorically, they're choosing a pathway of lifelong celibacy. Or at least some stretch of celibacy. And then he says, let the one who is able to receive this receive this. In other words, he's like, I know this is a hard word. Now, by the way, before I go any further, let me celebrate. I so appreciate how willing Jesus is to answer the tough questions. Do you hear that, church? He is not bothered. He is unflappable. This stuff doesn't threaten him in any way at all. You want to talk about gender and identity? Let's talk about eunuchs. Jesus is totally comfortable with that, and I appreciate that. You know what that reminds me? is how very much he loves us and is willing to go there and and just be available to the toughest things that we experience. And so with regard to eunuchs, I need to be clear on something. Whether it is in the Bible or the broader history, please hear me. Eunuchs are always and without exception biological males. If you're talking about the Chinese culture, Or Greco-Roman culture, or Persian culture, or African cultures. Eunuchs are always, and without exception, biological males. They have maleness as part of their DNA. Some might say, well, okay, then what's the issue for a eunuch? Well, biological male, but for whatever reason, either by nature, or by action, or by choice, this biological male has something about himself that is a departure from biological male normalness, if I can say it that way. But he's still biological male. Now, with regard to intersex individuals, intersex individuals are those who have uh, been born with uh, some combination of male and female anatomy and or male and female chromosomes now this really matters and you know people like this we have people here like this who have this as a as a feature of their existence but it is also exceedingly rare And even within that, most who are intersex, they comfortably and very naturally present in a quite identifiable way that that relates to the dominant feature of their intersex circumstances. So I'm clearly a male or I'm clearly female, whatever it is. But then amongst this rare group is a still more rare group for which the anatomical makeup is so utterly ambiguous male or female that once these individuals come of age they truly ought to as a point of personal autonomy have the right to decide how to present and live either male or female and they can do that and that's a good thing but it is exceedingly rare and hear this keep in mind even with all of that The combinations that are to some degree ambiguous are either male and or female. There's not a third option of some different sexual kind. It just simply scientifically doesn't exist. Well, friends, we've been talking here for just a few minutes about the creation narrative about male and female, but... You know, there's also within God's heart certain convictions about these things. There are these ethical imperatives. I want you to see with me uh, this statement right here about the ethical imperatives uh, with regard God's vision for human flourishing, his design for male-female existence. It does include vital ethical imperatives. Now, please understand with me, to steward the design it's God's passion that while they are similar as human beings, male and female need to also remain distinct, clearly distinct. We see, for example, those distinctions matter. We see, for example, Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Would you look at this with me? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, and so forth. And you can look at the passage, but the reminder here is God says, look, the distinctions between male and female really matter to me. Those distinctions ought not be blurred. There's a prohibition here against blurring. The lines either sexually or otherwise between man and woman male and female now the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 adds this uh, wisdom to it you'll see it here contrary to nature if we blur those lines it's contrary to nature It's what ought not be done this really matters to God that we not blur the intended distinctions between a man and a woman either sexually And or just in how we behave in general. How we think. Because listen to me friends. A woman as a woman matters. And a man as a man matters. And a man and a woman together in a relationship matters to God. But it's not his design that that sexually and otherwise a man and a man or a woman and a woman be together. Because remember that's not the intended fit that we described earlier but hear me friends listen to this word from uh, one scholar he puts it this way I think it's right on scriptures whenever scriptures mention crossing gender boundaries it's always it's always negative it always it, it speaks negatively in other words It's not permitted. It's not the heart of a loving and caring God. It's not best. But I need to give you a word of caution. And you'll see it with this next statement here. Please hear me. Oftentimes our convictions, okay? I want you to see this here. Oftentimes our convictions, well, some things aren't convictions, but are merely cultural. Like the warrior in the Viking grave. Is it a man? Because he's got weapons? Oh, it's a woman. That's not a conviction thing. That's a cultural stereotype to assume it's a man. The founding fathers wore powdered wigs. That is gross, by the way. (laughs) The word on the street is they reeked. They smelled thus all the powder. Why? Why? My Scottish ancestors wore kilts. I'm thinking of doing that next Sunday. Right here. You do not want that. In the Bible, there's a woman named Yael. Yael. And you know, a guest came by her home one day, and he was thirsty, and she gave him milk to drink. And then when he fell asleep... She took a tent peg and a hammer and drove it into his forehead and killed him because it turned out he was a commander of an enemy army. Is she feminine or masculine? David, who would be king, sat out among the flora and the fauna of Judea and wrote poems and love songs and played with a stringed instrument but then he also led thousands into battle and cut off the head of a great enemy warrior is he feminine or masculine Jesus himself in the one time in the historical narratives of the Bible where he gives an assessment of his own personality What does he say of himself? Matthew chapter 11, he says, I am gentle. I am gentle. And then, elsewhere we see, he looks at people and he says, he wants to gather them like a hen gathers her chicks and hold them close. But then he also endures some of the world's gravest form of torture after hours only to finally give up his final breath feminine or masculine should a boy cry should a girl fight should a man wear pink or a mom be president let us not blur Cultural stereotypes, which are largely rooted in our own individual insecurities. Let us not blur those with the ethical imperatives that God puts forward to steward this beautiful creation, to steward the glory of man and woman. Let me ask you to stand, would you please? And what I'd like to do is just pray. But as I do, I want to specifically speak to my friends listening who I know are really struggling with these things, particularly those of you wrestling fiercely with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria, but also for all of us because we all have friends and family for whom that's their story. So in a spirit of prayer, Lord, I know some listening are really struggling. And those of you of whom I speak, you know, you know science confirms only two distinct sexes, contrary to the prevailing narratives. You know God's design for flourishing as man and woman, male and female, and confusing these things sexually or otherwise steps away from his beautiful design for suffering and glory and creation and redemption. But I want you to hear in prayer, I know, Lord, that these friends and neighbors of mine, their suffering is excruciating. Their marginalization is harrowing. Their fear is real. And their internal drive for congruency between their aspirations and what their body tells them is so intense, it hurts. Lord, they are so loved, seen, beautiful. Thank you for your son, Jesus whose physical death and bodily resurrection demand that sin and death and the devil and lies and pain and longings, questions, confusions, none of these now or ever will be the final word because Jesus makes all things new. Oh, may we call unto him for mercy. Lord, the night is dark, but we are not forsaken, for by our side the Savior, he will stay. We labor on in weakness and rejoicing, for in our need his power is displayed. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won. And we shall overcome. Yet not we, yet not we, yet not I, but Christ in me.